Hey, faithful listener, welcome to season six of the Bible Explained podcast, the podcast where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and enjoy today's discussion from the book of Judges. Howdy, faithful listeners. This is Jen with the Bible Explained podcast. Happy Monday. Today we are in Judges chapter 12. We're going to be discussing uh, the rest of Jephthah's story where he basically like massacres all of Ephraim. So this is going to be an interesting episode. So let's go ahead and read all of Judges chapter 12 today. It's only uh, 15 verses long, so it's pretty short. So let's read this. I'll be reading out of W.E.B. as usual, but feel free to grab the version of the Bible that you prefer to read out of and also your cup of coffee or your cup of tea. We just celebrated National Coffee Day and also International Coffee Day, which also happens to be right next to Podcast Day, which is kind of funny. I guess podcasts and coffee just go together super well. So grab your cup of coffee and your Bible out of the version that you prefer. And let's go ahead and read Judges chapter 12. I'll be reading out of the W.E.B. this morning. The men of Ephraim were gathered together and passed northward, and they said to Jephthah, Why did you pass over to fight against the children of Ammon and didn't call us to go with you? We will burn your house around you with fire. Jephthah said to them, I and my people were at great strife with the children of Ammon, and when I called you, you didn't save me out of their hand. When I saw that you didn't save me, I put my life in my hand and passed over against the children of Ammon, and Yahweh delivered them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me today to fight against me? Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. The men of Gilead struck Ephraim because they said, You are fugitives of Ephraim, you Galeadites, in the middle of Ephraim and in the middle of Manasseh. The Galeadites took the fords of the Jordan against the Ephraimites. Whenever a fugitive of Ephraim said, Let me go over, the men of Gilead said to him, Are you an Ephraimite? If he said no, then they said to him, Now say Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth, for he couldn't manage to pronounce it correctly. Then they seized him and killed him at the fords of the Jordan. At that time, 42,000 of Ephraim fell. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in the cities of Gilead. After him, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons. He sent his 30 daughters outside of his clan, and he brought in 30 daughters from outside of his clan for his sons. He judged Israel seven years. Ibsen died and was buried at Bethlehem. After him, Elon the Zebulonite judged Israel, and he judged Israel ten years. Elon the Zebulonite died and was buried in Aijalon in the land of Zebulun. After him, Abdon the son of Hillel the Pirithonite judged Israel. He had forty sons and thirty sons' sons who rode on seventy donkey colts. He judged Israel eight years. Abdon the son of Hillel the Pirithonite died and was buried in Piriathon in the land of Ephraim in the hill country of the Amalekites. So a few chapters before this, you're going to see a very similar story. Ephraim, we see here in verse 1, really likes to try to get the glory for themselves. Like this seems to be like a pattern that Ephraim has. And in the few chapters before this, Ephraim actually went to Gideon, one of the last good judges of Israel, really. And uh, they went to Gideon and they were like, you know what? You did us evil by not calling us at the initial battle when you went to go fight against the Midianites and you took them all. And how come we weren't called for that battle? And Gideon was like, well, you know, you guys do so much. And, 
you know, you, you have so much good wine where you're at and you helped us defeat the Midianite kings and, and you do so much for Israel. And the Ephraimites were like, yeah, you know, we are pretty good. And then they left Gideon alone. So they do the exact same thing here to Jephthah. <laughs> but Jephthah's a totally different person than Gideon. You can just see how different Jephthah is. Jephthah seems much more uncaring of people's feelings from the very beginning because Jephthah was betrayed early on. Like he was kicked out of his family for no reason other than the the brothers didn't like Jephthah's mother because she was a prostitute. So they kick Jephthah out of the family. He is totally alone and on his own, got no inheritance from his family, from his dad. And he went and lived by himself and he became a mighty warrior during that time period. So he made a name for himself. So Gilead wanted Jephthah back when they found out that he was a warrior. They were like, great, he can help us defeat the uh, the Ammonites who were attacking Israel at the time. And so Jephthah goes back and he helps Gilead fight against the Ammonites. So after all that was done, we saw that God really helped Jephthah, which I didn't really touch on too much because um, when we talked about that story, I, I went a lot more in depth about the sacrificing of Jephthah's daughter, which was just a crazy story. But God really did help Jephthah defeat those Ammonites. Like God's spirit was with Jephthah and Jephthah ended up delivering Israel very quickly from the Ammonites. So after all of that was done and Jephthah's daughter is now either dead because she was sacrificed. And if you want to hear about that, go back to the last episode. We talked about that. Uh, she's either sacrificed or basically like a nun at this point in time. Jephthah now has very little to lose. And so I can imagine that he's even more angry and depressed than ever before. You can imagine that he is not in a good state of mind after what happened to his daughter. So these men of Ephraim gather themselves together, practically like in an army, it sounds like. I'm not really sure. And they go past the Jordan River into Gilead because Gilead was in Manasseh on the other side of the Jordan River. So all these men of Gilead decide to go over the Jordan River and start this confrontation with Jephthah, just like they had done with Gideon. So they say to Jephthah, they're like, why didn't you call us to go out to battle? Why did you do this huge injustice to us? You know, we're going to burn you and your house with fire because you didn't call on us to go to battle. Now, I should mention that with Gideon, when the Ephraimites had done this previously, they weren't that cruel to Gideon. Uh, they were much a little bit softer. They yelled at Gideon. They were not happy, but I don't think they said that they were going to kill him with fire. But Jephthah was not having it. And he's like, yeah, you Ephraimites, you suck, basically. He's like, look, I called on you and you didn't come. God was the one who delivered the Ammonites into my hand. I risked my life. You didn't come out to help me. So why the heck should I give you anything? And that's what he says. He's like, why have you come out to fight me? So this confrontation starts arising. Jephthah handles the situation totally different from Gideon, completely differently. So it says that Jephthah ends up gathering together all the men of Gilead to fight with Ephraim. So yeah, it does seem like this uh, 
this battle took place. It kind of seems like for whatever reason, Ephraim really started a confrontation here. Like there is more than just a couple men involved in this. It sounds like there was possibly thousands. And so Jephthah grabs his men who had just gotten home from battle and he begins to fight against the Ephraimites. And it says that he struck Ephraim because they said, you are fugitives of Ephraim, you Gileadites, in the middle of Ephraim and in the middle of Manasseh. So don't forget that Ephraim and Manasseh are technically the same tribe. They're the, the half tribes of Joseph. Ephraim, for whatever reason, is insulting the Gileadites who are in the tribe of Manasseh on the other side of the Jordan River. And they're like, you know what? All of you Gileadites, you're all just fugitives of Ephraim. You're all a bunch of criminals that came out here to Manasseh to hide out is basically what Ephraim is saying. And so it kind of sounds like Ephraim has some problems here with the Gileadites. And you can kind of see how things in Israel are starting to unravel, especially in the past couple chapters. Like when Joshua was still alive, you can kind of see how unified Israel really was. They were pretty much on the same page for most things. But then after Joshua died and they started going to their different tribes and living all around Israel, you can see that things are beginning to unravel throughout the years. And I mean, it's been hundreds of years since the Israelites took Israel for themselves. It had been about 315 years. But yeah, you can see how how things are really starting to unravel. And we're actually going to see like two or three civil wars pop up actually in the next coming chapters. And this is kind of the first one. The one of the Manassites, the Gileadites against the Ephraimites here. So this conflict starts and Jephthah's men basically slaughter the Ephraimites, like slaughter them. And it says that the Gileadites took the fords of the Jordan against the Ephraimites so that nobody could pass over. Now, in my personal opinion, I do think Jephthah went a little too far here. I can understand in some ways Jephthah's deep irritation with Ephraim. I can understand how the war started and even that Jephthah was probably in the right in some ways to start this war because Ephraim very likely could have tried to kill all of Gilead. Like this was a very heated, heated battle. But what ends up happening here is Jephthah's men take the Jordan River and all the places where people could pass over the Jordan River. And so Ephraim, don't forget, they were on the other side of the Jordan River towards the Mediterranean Sea. And so now they're stuck on the other side of the Jordan River in the land of Manasseh. And now they can't get back over the Jordan River back to their hometown because the Gileadites, Jephthah's men, took the Jordan River so that no Ephraimite could pass over it. And so here's what they do. It says they took the fords and whenever a fugitive of Ephraim said, let me go over, the men of Gilead said to him, are you an Ephraimite? And if he said no, then they said to him, now say Shibboleth. Now Shibboleth means running water. And apparently the Ephraimites pronounced it differently. They couldn't pronounce that word the same way that the Manassites pronounced that word. And so if an Ephraimite person was trying to cross the Jordan River, one of the Gilead men would be like, okay, pronounce Shibboleth. And if the Ephraimite said Sibboleth instead of Shibboleth, then 
that Ephraimite was immediately taken and killed because of his unique accent, specifically regarding that one word. So I don't know, honestly, I I do believe that this was going a little bit too far with this because you can see that Ephraim, they were pretty much defeated. They were defeated because that's what it says. Uh, It says that the Gileadites killed 42,000 men of Ephraim. So yeah, there was a lot more than just a few hundred Ephraimites that came out to fight against Jephthah. It looks like there was close to 42,000 of them. Jephthah destroys basically every single Ephraimite man that passed over the Jordan River to fight against him. And honestly, I, I do think this went a little bit too far. And the reason I do think that is because God is not mentioned in this chapter. And a lot of times when God is not mentioned in a chapter in the book of Judges, you can see that God is just not consulted like at all. So that's why I think possibly this was not in God's plan and that Jephthah did in fact go too far. And also it mentions that Jephthah only judged Israel for six years. Then Jephthah the Galeadite died and was buried in the cities of Gilead. So he died relatively quickly after defeating Ammon and after defeating all these Ephraimite men. So that's another thought that I had is, is why did he die so quickly? Because I can't imagine that he was a super old man. I, I doubt that he was. So there's some speculation, you know, that possibly Jephthah was so upset over the death of his only child that he just died himself. Or it could be that Jephthah was judged by God for the whole Ephraimite thing. I don't really know. Or maybe he was sick. It doesn't say. It just says that he died. And it says he was buried in the cities of Gilead. So that is the end of Jephthah's ridiculous life. I don't think he was the best judge of Israel. Personally, I think uh, he went wrong a handful of times. But he is mentioned as one of the faithful men in Hebrews. So we know that he did have some faith. He likely believed in God. The Holy Spirit did work with him, but he was a very flawed man in a very flawed time period that didn't believe in God or really trust in God at all. As we look at the judges from here to the end of judges, you're going to see how badly Israel just escalates into complete and total chaos because they don't trust in God. So after Jephthah dies, it mentions three more judges. And they all are judges that died very quickly after becoming the judge of Israel. There's just a lot more lawlessness, a lot more sin, a lot more corruption. And sin and corruption and lawlessness just make people have less life expectancy. So going into these three judges real quick, it talks about Ibsen of Bethlehem. Which, from my understanding, when I researched this, I guess this is a different Bethlehem than the one Jesus was born in. Um, But I, I don't know exactly where this particular Bethlehem was. So he judged Israel. He had 30 sons and also 30 daughters. So somehow he ended up having um, the exact same amount of daughters as sons. And so he ended up sending his 30 daughters outside of his clan and then brought 30 daughters in from outside of his clan for his sons. So he ended up making all of these relations with all these different clans. And I do not know 
if this means that he was doing like peace treaties with uh, pagan nations around him or not. I would guess, yes, he was, that he was actually giving his daughters to uh, other pagan peoples, which God specifically said, do not do, because those pagan people are going to make you start worshiping their gods. But Ibsen, this judge here, decides that this would be a good idea for him and for his family members to have all these different relations and all these different peace treaties. So that's what he did. It says he judged Israel for seven years. Then he died and was buried at Bethlehem. So after him, it says Elon, not Elon Musk, but Elon the Sepulonite, judged Israel. And he judged Israel for 10 years. Then he died. That's literally all it says about him. He is not mentioned as anything other than his name and that he was a Zebulonite, which I think he was the first judge from the tribe of Zebulun, if I'm if I'm thinking correctly. Then it says, after him, Elon, the Zebulonite, Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pirithonite, judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 sons' sons. So in other words, he had 40 sons and then he had 30 grandchildren from those 40 sons. And they all had their own donkey cults. <laughs> multiple wives, multiple women in this man's life. And uh, they, it seems like once again, they live this life of opulence, life of kingliness, which the judges weren't supposed to be kings. I think a lot of people forget that when they look at the judges because they're like, oh, the judges were leaders of Israel. But yes, they were in a sense, but they were also uh, working side by side with the priests. And technically, God was supposed to be king. God was supposed to be leader over everybody and then the judges interpreted God's will with the help of the priests and the judges also judged obviously and that was the point of the judges but now all of a sudden they're acting more like kings and that kind of started with Gideon by the way uh they're acting more like kings than they are like judges and that that's not a good thing because God was the king but anyway it says that uh this man Abdon judged Israel for eight years and then died and was buried in the hill country of the Amalekites. So the Amalekites were a cursed tribe that God had cursed hundreds of years before this, way back in the wilderness, because the Amalekites, I don't know if you guys remember this, they were actually killing off Israelites that were sick or children or women or elderly, because Typically, the elderly would fall behind the rest of the tribe. So the Amalekites are coming in and actually killing off the most vulnerable people of Israel. And so God ended up cursing the Amalekites. But this man, Abdon, who it looks like he was an Ephraimite, ends up uh, getting buried in the land of the Amal Amalekites. I don't know why, but he maybe he had a peace treaty with them, which once again, that wasn't supposed to happen. But uh, yeah, he's buried in Amalekite territory. So that finishes up basically all of the judges, except for one more. We're going to hear about pretty much the most famous judge of Israel, Samson. Good old Samson, who I would argue was the worst judge of Israel. I guess actually Abimelech would be the worst leader of Israel because he was never supposed to be a leader and he like massacred all of his own people. But Samson is 
not a great leader also. So we're going to talk about Samson in the next coming chapters, and we're actually going to spend quite a lot of time on Samson because he is the most discussed judge, pretty much. Him and, and Gideon, I would imagine, are probably two of the most discussed judges in the book of Judges. So we're going to spend pretty much the, the next month almost, the next few weeks at least, on Samson. And we'll talk about all the crazy stuff that Samson gets into and uh, what we can learn from him. Friends and faithful listeners, check out the Teen Girl's Guide to Advent because Advent is less than two months away. It's less than two months away. So if you have a teenage girl or if you know a teenage girl or if you know a youth leader or are a youth leader that wants content for teenage girls this Christmas, check out the Adore Advent devotional. And I just found out actually that it's going to be published on Download Youth Ministries, which is kind of exciting. So uh, it'll be available there as well. And you can check it out at DYM Download Youth Ministries. Or you can get the physical copy on Amazon. All of that is linked in the description of this podcast episode. Friends and faithful listeners, I will see you guys all tomorrow for an episode out of Acts. Until then, happy listening and God bless. Thank you.